The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Before any of that, we will kick things off, as always, uh, with our afternoon update, uh, catching you up on all that has happened uh, today. Louise Byrne is with me, political correspondent with the Irish Mirror, and Gerard Howland, public affairs consultant, Irish Times columnist. Uh, you're both very, very welcome. Uh, we might start with Ryanair. Uh, so kind of uh, f- shots fired again, Louise, uh, by Michael O'Leary today. Yeah, emphasis on again. He seems to just be at war at the moment with Eamon Ryan. And I suppose what this really comes back to well, I mean, it goes back way beyond the passenger cap at Dublin Airport, but this is his latest issue with Eamon Ryan. Of course, we know that the DAA, their passenger cap is currently 32 million. They want to put it up to 40 million. Eamon Ryan and several members, well, Eamon Ryan hasn't actually said anything, but several members of the Green Party have put in objections or observations about this plan that the DAA have put into Fingal County Council. So Michael O'Leary is personally taking this out on Eamon Ryan. And today, actually, he added Catherine Martin, the tourism minister, to the fray and at a Ryanair summer launch he produced these big placards of Eamon Ryan and Catherine Martin wearing hats that said dunce on them. And he, taking aim at them, he was asked, Eamon Ryan has accused him of being personally abusive to him on several occasions. Michael O'Leary basically saying, well, I called him incompetent and that's true, was his words. And he goes, if you're that thin-skinned, maybe you shouldn't be in politics. So this war of words continuing and we'll wait and see if Eamon Ryan says anything. We know we, he did speak out last time. There was this kind of back and forth between himself and Michael O'Leary, but he's been quiet so far today anyway. Yeah, so we might come back to the issue of the passenger cap and all of that in a moment, Jared. But it's worth pointing out, I mean... Um, uh, part of the reason Eamon Ryan and Catherine Martin are not saying an awful lot about this is it's a planning issue. It's a planning issue. senior politicians should not be getting involved in planning issues. No, there's an older North County Dublin tradition where uh, (laughs) they did. And if uh, um, Michael O'Leary seriously wants to revive that tradition, he should be brave enough to say it. Uh, You can never be sure if he's at war uh, because he speaks in the same tone and the same terms repeatedly about other people and other issues over decades. Um, one of his objectives has already been realised. We're talking about him on air. Uh, this is part of the MO. We are part of, you know, the oxygen that, that feeds that. We're part uh, of the Ryanair PR machine, uh, unwittingly. We, we are. Useful idiots is what they would call us if we were uh, doing this in a Russian <laughs> and, sense. And I would caution uh, people about uh, Michael O'Leary. He's exceptionally smart. He's a truly brilliant business leader. Uh, but because he's smarter than me, I, you know, I, I just don't assume everything he tells me is, is what he actually thinks. In relation to the issue around Dublin Airport, the bigger issue is what the Dublin Airport Authority has been doing over years because this has been on the writing on the wall for a very long time. They're way behind the curve in terms of where they should be in dealing with this. There is a two bits to the planning process. One, it is completely independent of politicians and the suggestion that the minister should uh, interfere is outrageous. Uh, there's the second issue, of course, that our planning processes are too slow. Yeah. Uh, and there is new planning legislation allegedly going to come this year, but it's too too late for this. And the final point is about, well, what is the appropriate size for Dublin Airport? Should it expand on demand as per Michael O'Leary and Aer Lingus and other airlines wish? Are there policy constraints that we, the public, in the greater interest, should seek to impose? And of course, it's not just about flights in and out. It's about the roads in and out in the absence of a metro. Uh, and that is never mm-hmm. mentioned by by the airlines. And then there's the fact that, in fact, we have a Cork airport and a Shannon airport. And what is the bigger picture for aviation going forward? And finally, there's something called climate change. 
which aviation contributes a lot to. Mm. Uh, and we are really on the horns of the dilemma about it because on the one hand, it's clear what we should do is fly less and have fewer flights in and out of an this island, but on the other hand, this island is absolutely dependent on its aircraft. So we've got all those variables, Louise, as Jared has set out. You've got another variable, which is public opinion, and there was the Red Sea poll and the Sunday business po- the business post, rather, on Sunday. Maybe is how I should be calling it, what I should be calling it. Anyway, um, and it suggested that uh, support for lifting the cap- cap- passenger cap was double amongst the public um, uh, compared to kind of leaving as is or lowering it. Um, there was almost no support for lowering it, but leaving as is uh, was only half uh, compared to um, uh, lifting it. Politicians would be conscious of that. They'd be conscious of all the issues that Jared has just uh, outlined there. So uh, given the sheer number of variables, I mean, is there is there any unanimity kind of behind the scenes in Leinster House about what different parties or politicians would like to see happen? No, and I think this is going to be a major bone of contention within the coalition because Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, as far back as November, I was on a government trade mission he was doing to Korea and he was asked about it at that point, even that many miles away, um, he was asked about this cap at Dublin Airport. And what he was saying is he was Minister for Transport many moons ago and he's well aware that if you leave the passenger cap as it is, if it's not increased, you could be affecting not only tourism, you could be affecting business, you could be affecting all these different things. Uh, Fianna Fáil seemed to be agreeing with him. Uh, Minister Jack Chambers, the junior transport minister, he said last month as well that he's in favour of the DAA's plan to increase this cap. So it really does seem as it just happens to be on so many of these issues that this is Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael versus the Greens and the Greens are really opposed to this. You saw uh, Integration Minister Roger Gorman put in an observation to the DA's plan. Now he was keen to stress that that was about noise concerns because obviously his Dublin West constituency is near the airport and what he was saying as well, he's concerned about residence concerns and their noise concerns and all. we have an election coming up so on all these issues we have people like Brian Ledden the TD for Limerick putting in an in a observation. So the Green Party are object to this as you would expect like it is their raison d'etre to look after the environment and that has to be considered in that as well but the government apart from the Greens Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are in favour of raising it so like you said maybe it's just as well that they can't get involved in this because it is a planning issue but they are being quite vocal on it and mm. any time it is asked it does create a row and it does create a story because no one has agreed Well listen we won't be useful idiots for Michael O'Leary any longer but we have our principles certainly I have mine and if you don't like them I've got a whole other set of principles <laughs> in the background that I can uh, wheel out for the right price uh, instead we'll talk about another issue actually that that. Uh, government representatives have been asked about today. So uh, kind of uh, hot on foot of kind of RTE uh, golden payouts, the HSE uh, under the spotlight, uh, Jared, to a degree uh, today, the former Deputy Director General, uh, Dean Sullivan, and a kind of an almost €400,000 uh, payout, a €389,000 euro uh, exit deal um, approved. Um, I mean, Unpublished. Unpublished. No hugger mugger. Yeah. It's, you know, um, it consists of two parts, one of which is redundancy and the other is a legal part. It's not clear what amount replies to to either. Um, The Bernard Gloucester, the CEO of the HSE, is clear that this was approved uh, in every official appropriate Mm. formal way. The Department of Health, the Department of Public Expenditure, 
Expenditure Minister Pascal Donoghue has confirmed that. The underlying tenant is that it is absolutely appropriate and a necessary part of the toolkit that people can be made redundant and paid accordingly. Um, the alternative to that, and it was the base on which the HSE was founded uh, over 20 years ago, that everyone was left in positions, even positions that were no longer relevant after the uh, amalgamation of the health boards. Uh, that caused a whole layer of underemployed, not particularly gruntled people uh, yeah. um, for years. It was very unsatisfactory. So in principle, uh, every organisation knows people have to move. People have rights. They have to be paid. And that's it. I suppose the one thing I'm less confident of is not the redundancy piece, uh, which I presume is accordance to public service norms. Yeah. But what is the legal piece? And notwithstanding the confidentiality around that, who on the public side, on the public interest side, invigilates that on our behalf? Mm. I don't necessarily need to know, but I need to know somebody knows. And my problem then is with the HSE and its board that have routinely signed off on business plans year after year that were essentially completely um, in, in uh, out of kilter with the money that was available for the said plans and they completely overrun, notwithstanding that was blindingly obvious, that was precisely mm. what was going to do. So on the issue of accounting, the HSE is not a usually reliable source. Okay. Um, that point notwithstanding, Louise, and... and the optics of the issue here, I think, for some people, is it? I mean, I, you know, Jared's right, and it was my sense of it as well. I mean, part of the cost of having kind of robust protection for employees in this country is that it is difficult to let people go, and it comes at a price. And if you're paying people a good wage, it costs a good bit of money, a good wedge of it, uh, to get rid of them, if that's uh, your desire. Uh, but you know, kind of perception is reality. And and for some, they look at the story and it reinforces a perception that maybe kind of, you know, senior levels in the civil service, that the attitude or the public service is, well, it's not our money and we can use it to feather our own nest. And I think in a way, this is story, while it is important, I think it is has been exacerbated by what we've seen in RTE over the last couple of weeks because we've been talking about exit payments. We've been talking about how they're signed off. We've been talking about procedures. We've been talking about trans transparency and accountability. And I think that when you consider this story against all of that and all we've seen from RTE and the kind of the secrecy and the confidentiality there, I think the HSC, I don't know if this was the intention, but I actually think they're coming across that little bit better than RTE have been because Bernard Gloucester in a statement said, you know, we've spoken to Dean Sullivan. We've, you know, he's agreed to weigh the confidentiality part. And I mean, I think what Bernard Gloucester reiterated over and over in that statement earlier was that this was appropriate, that it was proper, that procedures were followed. And I think, you know, this happens in the private sector as well. It is employment law in this country, for better or for worse, is very, very tricky. It's very difficult and people have to be respected and all of that. So this happens. It happens every day in a number of companies. And I just think it's the circumstances and the background in which we're talking about this that people perhaps are talking about it that little bit yeah. more than they would be otherwise. I think it's a, it's a good point though, George, you raised about um, making sure somebody is uh, is checking the sums. I want to spy Check, the, checking the maths homework. Checking the maths homework. Yeah, yeah. I, we need somebody from the CNAG or somebody in there double checking that, that all of this, that there hasn't been an over generosity. I don't have a reason to believe it is. In principle, it is the right thing, by the way. Mm. And, and perhaps if more people have more packages and went, uh, it, we might have a better public service. Um, listen, uh, kind of briefly before I let you go, and actually uh, kind of gives a sense of, of 
kind of how strange the story is that I, I suggest we're only going to talk about it briefly and it comes after the HSE and after Ryanair but uh, the leader of one of the kind of world's military superpowers has threatened nuclear war on us today Louise. Well not quite us because we're not members of NATO. Well, uh, we're, pretty, we're pretty close. I mean six counties on the island are, uh, are a member of NATO. But this was a Russian president Vladimir Putin I don't know who else it could have been but he had his State of the Nation address today two hours so it was fairly lengthy. But as part of this, Emmanuel Macron, the French president, had said earlier this week, well, he didn't say it, but he didn't definitely didn't sh- shoot it down, the idea of um, sending ground troops into Ukraine, European ground troops. And he, basically what Putin said is that if you do that, it would be tragic. It could actually lead to nuclear war. Um, and I mean, that's quite daunting. And, you know, given what's going on in Ukraine, given the devastation that's happening in other parts of the world, and given the circumstances and the things we've seen unfold in the last couple of years that we never thought we'd see unfold, threats like that do have to be taken seriously. So it's quite ominous stuff coming from Russia today. Jared, maybe I'm kind of guilty of having watched too much Dr. Strangelove, but when he talks about their strategic nuclear forces being in a state of full readiness Mm -hmm. for guaranteed use... That kind of worries me is that this might happen by accident. It could, uh, particularly in an unstable regime. And there are several regimes with nuclear weapons that are far less stable than Putin's Russia. Uh, that would be, you know, um, more more to worry about. Uh, Putin, um, could he do it? The answer is yes. Is he likely to? Almost certainly not. Um, his instinct is, has always been for self-preservation. Uh, and this would not be the end of us, but the end of him. Um, so on balance, it's probably very unlikely. In relation to uh, the Ukraine, I mean, what is happening there is for the first time since World War Two, a third country, in this instance Russia, is trying by military force to uh, change internationally agreed borders. Now, if that happens... It's everything we've believed in since World War II mm. is over. It is an open season. And we have no idea of the intensity of feeling and of fear in Finland and Sweden, uh, in, the, in the Baltic states, in Poland ar- around this. Uh, this is all deep reality for them. And um, they're, they're just not prepared to let Ukraine go or a portion of it to Putin because the entire certainty that we believed we lived in is finished. Jared Howland, Public Affairs Consultant, Irish Times columnist, Louise Byrne, political correspondent with the Irish Mayor. Thank you both very, very much uh, for joining me. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.